This morning, I also wore my holy jeans so that I could be extra holy as I preach to you, because I know someone will probably tell me or offer to buy me new jeans that are like completely one piece, but I'll say to you, they're extremely holy. Therefore, that is why I'm wearing them on Sunday to preach to you. (laughs) Awesome. They're my prayer jeans. Yes, they're my prayer jeans. I pray in all my jeans. They're all prayer jeans. Anyways, all right, good morning, everyone. It's awesome to be here with you. Um, How many of you guys have a bad GPS story gone wrong by show of hands? Yes, yes. I have had multiple bad GPS stories where I have plugged in my destination that I wanted to go and pressed start, got the route, everything seemed to be okay until I kind of got like halfway there and then I realized that I have no idea where I am, this does not look like where I'm supposed to be going and I end up getting lost. And one of my favorite stories of uh, a GPS story gone wrong is this happening to Nate and I two summers ago when we were on a trip up north to see my family and friends. Uh, One of those days we decided that we wanted to go to Manitoulin Island uh, so that I could show him a lot of places that I used to go as a kid uh, that were really fun that I wanted to share with him. And Manitoulin Island is so beautiful, but it also has a lot of kind of windy roads that lead to nowhere. It's not obviously a city, it's the Manitoulin Island, the reserve there. And so um, a lot of it has like a lot of dirt roads. And so I wanted to bring him to Spring Bay, the Pentecostal camp up there. And I hadn't been there in a few years, so I didn't really remember exactly how to get there, but I I thought we'd be fine because we had a GPS on our phone. So we plugged it in. It said that we were like 40 minutes away. So we started driving and um, on, on our way, we started going, and it was a paved road, and so that was fine. But then a few minutes into it, the paved road turned into a gravel road, which I was like, okay, that's still fine. Like, that's normal. I, I remember having to take a gravel road to get to the Pentecostal camp. And then as we kept on going, about 10 more minutes in, it turned into a ATV trail that <laughs> was one way, and it was extremely bumpy, like super hilly, and we were in his SUV that had had brake problems, like just previously, and the brakes would seize randomly, and we would have to stop, let it cool down, and if it wasn't cool enough, we would be literally stuck in a place that happened to us a few times on the 401 where we had to get towed, and so, but I was like, no, 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 I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, because <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm like used to ATV roads, like I grew up up north, and so like, that's fun to me, I'm like, well, this is an adventure, and Nate's kind of getting nervous, and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse as we progressively keep going, but the GPS literally said like, two more kilometers and you've reached your destination. So I was like, we have to keep going, obviously. Like, I know this probably doesn't look like the path we're supposed to take, and I do not remember this at all, but I think that we should keep going. And ultimately, Nate was like, where are we? And why are we here? How did we get here? He was noticing abandoned buses and abandoned trailers (laughs) on the side, and we've approached, basically, it was like, a huge lake of a puddle that we had to get through to the other side. And so ultimately we ended up doing like an 18 point turn running over some trees because it was so narrow that we could not actually turn around. So we were out there for a really long time. Thankfully nothing happened with the brakes. Thankfully we were fine. Once we got back to Bowmanville from our trip up north, the brakes seized like right away. So that was definitely the grace of God. 
But I, anyways, I wanted to ask you guys a question. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you asked yourself the question, how did I get here or how did we get here? And this question doesn't have to be about your actual literal location, although it may have in the past, like me, but it can also represent a situation in your life or the state of your life. So today we're going to be talking about the book of Ezekiel and how the people of Israel or Judah, to be more specific, ended up in a place that they never thought that they would be. Awesome. So some context before we get super into it. So the book of Ezekiel is a series of prophecies. And uh, the word prophecies, it just means a message from God given to a person to pass along to those who need to hear it. So it's just a message that needs to be spoken to somebody. That's what prophecy means. So Ezekiel can be a hard and odd book at times to read. If you have read it, there's lots of like funny things that you're like, what? That's kind of strange. But anyways, it's, it's good. However, it's full of timeless truths that we can learn from and apply today. So even though some people, they say, Uh, Some people may say Old Testament books, they don't really like to bring them into teaching. You can say that that's Old Covenant, we're in the New Covenant. But I entirely believe that the Old Testament is there for a reason, it's for a purpose, it gives us insight to who God's character is, all the stories that the people of Israel went through, the history of how this all became to be, and it gives us a bigger picture of God's story in action. So Ezekiel was an Israelite priest and prophet who was taken to Babylon Um, among the first wave of captives from Judah, who then became a messenger of God to the fellow exiles, who was a prophet to the exiles of Judah who were taken to Babylon. And one critical thing to understand while reading this book is that what it meant to to live under the Mosaic Covenant. So just now, or recently, we just did communion, and we were talking about the new covenant. We're under the new covenant of Jesus' blood where Uh, Now Jesus covers all of our sins for us. He was a sacrifice for our sins. And so now we can live in the freedom when we accept Jesus Christ and be seen as holy and pure in the sight of God. But before this, so Israel is living in the Mosaic Covenant. And again, so a covenant is a formal contract between two or more parties where one party or all involved are bound by the promises or obligations in the agreement. So in the Bible, we see multiple covenants where there are certain times for certain people. Some of the covenants were unconditional, and some of the covenants were conditional. So another example is like the Abrahamic covenant. That was an unconditional one where God promised to bless Abraham, to multiply it, to make him a great nation, so that he could bless others and be a blessing. Um, And this one is a conditional covenant. So whereas the people in Israel in this time frame... It was under conditional. So the Mosaic Covenant was made between God and the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, and it was directly related to Israel's obedience to the Mosaic Law. So if Israel was obedient, then God would bless them, um, bring a lot of amazing things to them, be with them, be in their presence. But if if Israel were to disobey God's commands, um, then they would suffer the punishment. They would be under judgment. So if you want to read anything more about that, it can be found in Deuteronomy 28. So in the book of Ezekiel, we find the people of Judah in a predicament where they have completely turned their backs on God, they have profaned his name, they failed to keep covenant with God, and therefore they were forced into exile as punishment. So I'm very glad that we don't live under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. (laughs) 
Although they should have seen it coming, they were completely blindsided. The exile marked a time of extreme confusion. They were hopeless. It was chaos for the people, especially a few years into the exile when Jerusalem fell. So that was just, you know, the last straw for them. They're like, we have no hope as a nation. We're scattered. I don't know where my family is. I don't know what to do. I'm in a new place. And there's no hope for us to come together as the nation of Israel, of God's people, again. So the people were probably asking themselves, like, how did we get here? How did it end up like this? I thought we were the chosen ones, God's people, things. We were supposed to be blessed, but they broke the covenant. So this was the setting that Ezekiel was ministering in. The structure of Ezekiel goes along the lines of Ezekiel professing God's holiness and then addressing the exiles about the wrath, again, that he had against their idolatry and other sins and the judgment that would come upon them because of it. However, Ezekiel also understood that God was a God of mercy, of love, and compassion, who ultimately intended to restore, rehabilitate, and redeem them spiritually and as a nation, physically, so that he could be present among them. So there's a lot of hope, even though there a lot of the book of Ezekiel and in the Old Testament, there's judgment that's on us and on them, and um, a lot of bad things are happening. It's hard to read that sometimes. It's really hard to like grasp it with our heads and the conflict between you know the wrath of God and the holiness of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and seeing people go through really tough times. But there is such a strong message of hope that is to be seen even in the book of Ezekiel, even in that time, even in the Old Testament. There is so much hope to be said and to be talked about. So that brings us all the way to chapter 37, where the prophecies of judgment turned to hope and redemption. So the beginning of this chapter described the vision that God gave Ezekiel. Ezekiel is brought by the Spirit of God into the valley of dry bones. God asks him whether or not he thinks they can come back to life, to which Ezekiel replies, O Lord God, or, O Lord, you know. God then tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones uh, that God would bring them back to life, and then right before his eyes, it happens. All the bones that were once lifeless, they were scattered, they were dry, it was desolate. It come, they all come back together, and they are given flesh, and they become bodies, and they become living and breathing. So God t- then tells Ezekiel to prophesy breath into them so they would truly live And it happens. Everything that God says to do, it happens. And I think that's just so cool. And another just like tidbit of when God speaks, when God tells us something, when God gives us a promise, we can be sure without a shadow of a doubt, like no, nothing can stop that from coming to pass. Nothing can stop that. Our God is that strong that we can hold on to it, even in the midst of our doubt, because I'm sure Ezekiel was doubting what was going to happen. Even if we have doubt, we can still, with that 1% of faith, believe and hold on to the fact that he will do what he says he is going to do. So the vision is a beautiful visual picture of what God wanted to do and was going to do with Judah and Israel. So this was for Judah and the people who were in exile. God was going to take the spiritually dead and scattered people of the exile and do the unimaginable. Looking from an outward perspective, there would be no possible way to believe that the exiles would be that who had just been invaded, conquered, rendered hopeless, Jerusalem just fell, they're like everywhere and nowhere at the same time, 
that they would ever be able to come back together, especially they would never be able to be as devoted to God as they used to be. But that is exactly what God is going to do. So I absolutely believe that the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones is not just speaking to the grace that God had for the exiles. I also believe that it has a profound meaning and message for us today. So I'd now like to take some time to go through the story again and pull out some truths, timeless truths that affect us all, every single one of us, no matter what walk of life we've gone through, no matter what burdens we've carried in today, no matter the story that we are just walking through, this applies to all of us. So they're truths and they're also applicable application points as well. So we'll do kind of do them like one in the same. All right, so the first one that I have is recognizing reality. So in verse 1 to 2 in chapter 37, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the spirit, out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me among them, and behold, they were very, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So these two first verses, they convey the stark reality of the condition of the bones in the valley that Ezekiel saw. So the bones had not seen life in ages, obviously, because there's so many of them, and they were extremely dry. So we can know that they were there for a long time. They had not been alive for a while. They would have been brittle, possibly shattered into multiple pieces, spread apart over the landscape, not even close to its original part. And in that time period, I found it interesting that um, if armies were to fight against one another, um, and one army was to defeat the other army, instead of uh, you know, doing a proper burial for the ones that they just conquered, they would leave them there because it was an extra sign on top of it to say it was a shameful thing. It was like very shameful to not get the correct burial. So that's another thing, just reading this, knowing that they were, the reason that the bones were there, it's already, it's shamed. There's, there's no life there. They're dry. There's nothing going on. It's been stagnant and it's almost disgraced. It just, they're just being there. So it's powerful. It's strong. It's kind of, it's hard to read at times. I mean, like that would be scary. I would not, I don't even like going to scary. I don't like anything scary really. So anyways, that just sounds kind of scary to me. I would not want to be Ezekiel in that moment. <laughs> and, but maybe some of you here today can relate to that feeling or those really powerful and strong words, even though it's hard to read and you can relate to them in your own respective situations. It's important for us to be honest with ourselves about where we are and where we're at, to stop our busy lives, to take inventory of our spiritual, our emotional, and our mental health. If we don't stop, we can be stuck in the valley and stay there because we refuse to recognize it. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. So number two is remembering who our God is. So in verse three, it moves on to a question that God asks Ezekiel. So verse 3 says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. And if I were in Ezekiel's position, or if you were in Ezekiel's position, I would find it kind of an odd question for God to ask. No one thinks that scattered, detached bones could live again. It's kind of strange. Yet, admirably, Ezekiel responded to God's question 
with the only hope that could be found by saying, oh Lord, you know, I have no idea, you know, I don't have the answer, so I'm just going to kind of give this back, toss this back to you. So here's the thing, Ezekiel didn't have any hope in the bones that they would be able to miraculously pull themselves back together again. However, he did have hope in his God. Ezekiel did not did also not have any preconceived ideas or assume to know what God wanted to do with the bones, which is interesting. Just another side note, too. Sometimes I think, you know, we're in this place and it's really dark and God wants to do something, but we already have a preconceived idea of what we want God to do with them. Ezekiel wasn't like, yes, you're going to do this with them and you're going to make this happen and bring this to life this exact way, the way that I want them, the way that I see it happening, the way that I see that it would be good to happen. Ezekiel doesn't do that. He just leaves it up to God. He doesn't have any preconceived assumptions. And uh, that's hard for me. Sometimes I, I know that I'm kind of like a control freak and I like to have things done certain ways. And if it's not done that way, I think it's wrong. And I try to work on that, especially, I mean, like, being married, you have to, like, let the person do what they want to do. And, I mean, Nate has a lot of grace for me, too, because I probably do a million things wrong um, all the time at our house. Anyways, so he didn't have any preconceived ideas or assume how God was, want, was wanting to do with the bones. The only thing that Ezekiel was confident in was that he didn't know the answer, but God did. And that brings me a lot of hope, because... I have no idea what to do with the hopeless situations in my life sometimes. And if, even if I did try, I mean, I would get not very far. I wouldn't, it wouldn't have lasting results. Maybe I would cover it up for a little bit, and then it would go right back to the way that it was before, or maybe I dug myself into a deeper hole, and it's just so comforting that I don't need to know all the answers. I can just present my mess, present what is going on in my life, and be honest, like realize it, like not push it aside, realize like, yes, this is a mess, but God, you know what to do, and I can trust that in your hands, you are faithful to complete what you started. So again, I think it's important to, for all of us when we're facing what we think are unsolvable situations to remind ourselves who our God is and his power to redeem. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So in case you missed it, Paul was writing that God is possible of the immeasurably more. So not even like, what we hope for it's even he's possible even more than we could hope for the best case scenario and i mean this isn't always what god does because it's not based on what we think is good but for him god can do so much more than we could even possibly think and i'm sure i'm so sure of it that all around this room there's so many stories of how god totally transformed and ripped apart what they thought that they wanted and gave them something else that maybe at first would have seemed like you, you wouldn't like it. Like <laughs> you didn't want that to happen. That was the opposite thing of what you wanted to happen. But God puts it there in place. And it's so much more. It's so much healthier for you. It's so much better for you. And that, that's what's possible with God. It's crazy to me to think that God it takes so much interest in me that he wants to do immeasurably more in my life. 
even though I may not recognize it. So I hope that you're encouraged by that too. Anyway, so what we think is a crazy and redundant question to ask is actually full of possible, is fully possible in the hands of our Father. And if Ezekiel had responded to God's question based on the evidence that he saw with his senses, he would have said, no, dead bones cannot come back to life. But when left with God, the impossible becomes possible. Ezekiel recognized that his finite humanity in the presence of the all-knowing, the all-powerful God, yet we forget all the time, and I'm so one of these people, I forget all the time. We need to remember who our God is and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. We are not on the same playing field. Even if we think we are at times, we are not on the same playing field. His thoughts are so much higher than ours. He knows better and he's a good God. And I'm just, it's exciting. He does immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. So thirdly, God breathes life through his word. So in verses four to seven, it says, then he, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. So, this is another direct view of how powerful God's word is. Just like how in Genesis, God spoke the world and the universe into existence, he is now letting Ezekiel be used by him by speaking God's word and seeing everything obey his commands. This is crazy. The word of God is a source of life for these bodies, just how it is the source of life for us. And I personally have never heard the audible voice of God. I've never had a moment where that has happened to me. <laughs> I mean, I wish and I pray for a moment like that. Probably wouldn't be able to like comprehend it or even understand it if it did happen to me. But I know that when I am reading, when I open up my Bible, I am, I am reading God's living word right there, laid out in front of me. This is God's living word that I get to read, that I have. It's such a gift that we have that. And, you know, I feel bad for the people in the Old Testament who, you know, only had one person to read it or there was, they didn't have access to it or people who just didn't have it. And, you know, many people in the world today, they don't have access to it either. I'm so, we are so blessed to have the living word of God with us on our phones, on our tablets, everywhere we go, we have access to it. And it's, it's awesome. Second Timothy 3 says that all scripture is God breathed. Therefore, by reading God's word, I'm allowing God to breathe life into every area of my life, including the areas that I have neglected or have subconsciously pushed to the side. The word of God is capable of piercing through my thoughts, my feelings, my situations, your situations, by bringing truth, correction, rebuke, hope, grace, and transformation to things that we didn't even know that were there, to walls that we've built up that we didn't even know we had a problem with. Um, or the things that we thought were too far gone, the word of God has access to all of that when we let it. 
It can pierce through all the lies that we've, that we've told ourselves over and over and over again. It's, it's the word, it's alive. You know, it's not just a book that you read and there's no application. It's God's story and action for you to receive, for you to understand who he is, for you to understand who you are made in Christ on those pages written to you. So it should be comforting for us to know that we can free ourselves from the idea that we have to rely on ourselves to bring the hopeless and dead parts of us to life. It was never our job. You cannot put that on your resume. It is, however, our job to open up ourselves to receiving the word. And this is where I think it gets interesting with the next point that I have. So the next point that I have is God breathes life through his spirit. So the other one was God breathes life through his word. And this one is God breathes life through his spirit. So something that is interesting to me is the fact that even though Ezekiel spoke the word of God to the bones and saw them come back up, so they were up and they were assembled, with everything that makes a body, they weren't fully alive yet. The bones, the muscles, and the skin were in position, but there was still no life inside. The brain was in the head, but it wasn't thinking. The lungs were in its chest, but it wasn't breathing. And the heart was in place, but it wasn't beating yet. So... Verse 8 then says, And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. They weren't fully alive yet. They looked like they would be if you looked from afar, but they weren't yet. And the reason why I feel like this is important to focus on is because the word of God needs to be accompanied by the breath of God, or in other words, it needs to be accompanied by the presence of God of the Holy Spirit. And it's sadly extremely easy to feel like we are in the valley of dry bones in our own lives, even when we're doing, even when we're reading the Bible. And I'm sure that we can all remember a time in our lives, you know, maybe it's right now for you that we're doing all of the right Christian things to do. We're reading our Bibles, we're like we're praying, we are going to church, we're attending like the groups, the small groups, which are good. They're very good. <laughs> Um, but we're doing all the right things to do, but somehow, like, we do not feel like we have life in our bodies. We do not feel like we are close to God. In fact, we feel so far from the presence of God, and we're just racking our brains trying to figure out, you know, like, what, what is wrong? Like, why? Like, I don't understand why it is like this. And if we're not careful, we can fill our minds with knowledge of God, but never spend time seeking his presence or allowing the spirit of God to breathe into us through his word. And it can be a dangerous, slippery slope. It can potentially lead you to asking the question, you know, like, how did I get here? You know, I'm a good person. How did I get here? And just like the bodies in Ezekiel's vision to become fully alive, it takes us the breath that comes from the word of God and the breath that comes from the presence of God. The word of God reminds us of his character, his goodness, his faithfulness, and the promises that he has and who we are in Christ. But without his presence, we can't live that out fully. We can like say it verbatim. You can remember all the scripture that you want and say it to people and preach it at people and not live a day of your life loving people or feeling God's love for you, not understanding your worth, your value. It's a strange thing, but it's because we need the presence of God to accompany it. 
to activate that, to breathe that life into us again for us to become fully alive. And, you know, like just being honest, because I mean, we've, we've all had this happen to us before. And in my second year of Bible college, this was definitely something that I was going through. I was in Bible college, felt the call of ministry on my life, was literally reading the Bible every single day, was reading textbooks about the Bible every single day, day and night, doing projects, doing exegetical research papers, doing presentations, going to chapel, and doing all of these things was surrounded by Christian, other Christian people. And I felt like such a hypocrite. I felt like I shouldn't have even been there. I felt like I had not actually grown in my relationship with God at all. My entire second year, it was like the whole year. And I was like, what, what, like, what, is, what is wrong? And I realized I was filling so much of my head with knowledge, which is good. It's good to study. It's good to be in the word. It's good to understand. It's good to memorize scripture. But without actually seeking and asking God to reveal who he is to you in a real tangible way and then living that out, like taking steps to actually live that out, it's not helpful. <laughs> it's helpful in the way that, yes, you do need it, but without, without one or the other, you need both to, to come to life, to breathe fully, to be able to walk strongly in your faith, and yes, we're going to have ups and downs, and don't let that discourage you. Let it be something that makes you want to dive deeper or change something in your life because you know that God has immeasurably more for you, not just where you are right now or how you feel in this moment. It's Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So now what? So we've kind of gone through these, and some of this is going to sound a little bit redundant because we just talked about um, kind of the application as well. But... The, the now what here, it's, it's extremely important again. We need to constantly remind ourselves how no one or no thing rivals our God and that there's absolutely nothing too big for him to redeem. With that also comes being honest about where we are, being vulnerable with others, which is extremely hard to do. But, but when we're honest and open, it invites other people to help us remember who our God is. We also need to prioritize being in God's word and spending time in his presence, really digging into trying to understand the scriptures by meditating on it, talking about it with others, and applying it to our lives to start stepping out of our comfort zones and trying to live it out in a way that's actually practical for us, and resisting the temptation to simply gain more knowledge. You know, like, it's great to have all the knowledge in the world, but I want to know that you know that God cares about you. I want to know that you know that God loves you. I want you to know how valuable other people are to God and that he doesn't want any of us to stay where we are, to be stagnant. We need to spend time simply seeking God's presence, and that's hard, especially now. We have so many distractions going on. We have you know, unlimited access to the internet, to TV, media, like... It can suck up so much of our time. And I know all of us, we work hard. You go to work and you spend a lot of time and effort there. And then you come home and you have a family or people that you need to take care of or kids. Um, maybe you have schoolwork, you're going to school. And 
you spend so much of your time and energy there, and you get home and you kind of just want to, you know, chill, zone out, not have to do anymore. And, you know, like, I really used to think that, like, yeah, I don't have time for this. Like, I don't have time. I have so many things to do in a day. And I looked at it like a chore or something that wasn't going to be fun. And it is a discipline, but, like, I've never felt more fulfilled in my life than when I'm actually seeking God and reading his word. And it might be at the beginning, opening up the Bible and spending that time. Reading it can seem like you don't have enough time, but as soon as you start and you, you open yourself up and you start receiving what God has for you, it's not a chore. It is a blessing. It's something that will speak life into you when you're feeling like, so lethargic and you're not happy about the way things are going in your life and things seem like so hopeless and sometimes even some of us we don't even want to open up the word of God because we know that we haven't in so long and it keeps us in a guilt feeling like God would be mad at us or I shouldn't open his word because I haven't in so long and so he would think poorly of me if I did that's wrong that's wrong, and I have those feelings too, and I have to remind myself that that's wrong, that God wants me to come back to him every single time that I mess up, every single time that I missed a day or a few days. He wants me to come back. He's not guilting me and saying like, no, you don't even deserve it. You don't deserve to come back and open up your Bible and read what I've done for you because you haven't in so long. That's not even a thought that crosses his mind not something that enters, that even entertains at all. And another thing with spending time in God's presence, a lot of us do it in different ways. So through prayer, through worship, through going on walks outside, admiring God's creation, um, singing, using your skills and your talents to glorify him, we spend that time with him. There's so many different ways that we can enter into the presence of God and he's around us all the time and that's the thing with the new covenant we have the Holy Spirit available to us we don't have to do anything crazy we just have to be open and willing and wanting and receive and receive that blessing it's a gift that we have and I'll invite the worship team up this moment so in conclusion verse 9 and 10 continues to say then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the lord god come from the four winds o breath and breathe on these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army so just as the lord wanted to redeem the people of judah and of israel in ezekiel's time his heartbeat for restoration reaches out to each one of us individually and collectively as a church family together and as a people in general god saw the broken bones in the valley instead of simply showing ezekiel their brokenness he wanted to do the immeasurably more and breathe life back into them and even right now in this moment, God sees the different valleys that we are walking through. He sees the situations that wouldn't have a chance of being revived outside of his power. And he desires for us to experience his restoration. And some of us do a pretty good job of covering up our dry bones that we never want anybody else to know about. Maybe because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Or that others may not be understanding if they knew the whole story. 
or maybe because it just seems too far out of reach. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe there has been a long history of brokenness in your family or friend relationships, which has placed you in a pattern of thinking it can't be fixed, it can't be fixed, it can't be fixed. Or maybe some of us have been wiped out by the pain of grief and have felt like you have lost so much more than you could ever gain back. And the message of this passage is that God can send new life into your dry bone situation. He can, and God said it, and he'll do it. It's also a a glimpse into eternity, because I mean, all of us can recognize that not everything's gonna be perfect on this side, and there's a lot of things that happen that really break our heart, and God is gonna be there, and he does wanna speak into those moments, but there's also such a huge hope in knowing that eternally, in eternity, God does make everything new. He makes this world new, he makes all of us new for us who believe in him. He has a plan and he set it in motion and nothing is gonna stop it. God can breathe strength, hope, and transformation through his spirit and his word into your life, into my life, into your friend's life, into your child's life, the places that you think are just way too far gone, that haven't had life in so long. When we remember who our God is, we can trust that the God who created can recreate and piece together our scattered pieces.